Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast, where we uncover the stories that shaped the business owner. Brought to you by Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast. My name is Lisa Settle. And my name is Isla O'Hara. The Business Diaries is a platform for businesses to get together, businessmen and women, to share their business stories, stories relating to their personal experiences, the ups and the downs and the lessons we've learned along the way. And but my goodness, there's been a few. We've had three years of live storytelling, but during 2020, we've been sharing the stories via this podcast, which has been great because Isla and I get thoroughly entertained and inspired on a monthly basis. Isla, who do we have today as our guest? I am thrilled to welcome back one of the very uh, one of the very first storytellers at the inaugural Business Diaries Tunbridge Wells event back in 2018, Chris Murphy. Hi, Chris. Hello. Thank you. For welcome. Welcome. Me. Welcome, Great and thank you. you so much for agree uh, for joining us today. But before we hand over the microphone to Chris, let me tell you a little bit about him. Chris trained as a physiotherapist, worked in the NHS, was a university lecturer and run a training consultancy for 18 years before completely gutting and renovating his home, learning to become a beekeeper and an award-winning public speaker. Chris now mentors people who dislike public speaking, helping them to become clear, confident and engaging speakers. Chris, we enjoyed your story very much first time, but so much has happened in the intervening years. I'll hand over to you now to remind us of the story that you shared and to bring us up to date. That's great. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. As you said, so much has changed for me, but just to take people back, I suppose, to the beginning is my my father was a, a shopkeeper and he worked very hard all his life and was self-employed and he said to myself and my sister he said that what i think you need to do is you need to go into the medical profession because people will never stop getting ill and that was his philosophy that we would always have a job for life so my sister became a nurse and i wanted to be originally a vet i don't know if any people listening remember those surveys that you did at school where you filled in all the different questions and then it came back with a list of the jobs that you could do. And I came back with tree surgeon, salmon farmer and vet. And I thought vet for me. And I realized then with when I did my A-levels, unfortunately, I wasn't quite brainy enough to be a vet. So I looked around at all the other medical professions and I decided on physiotherapist because I'd always been a people person. And For me, going to university and starting to do physiotherapy was wonderful. It was all about the human body. It was about helping people get better. And I embraced it and adored it. And I'd found out that after a year of doing physio, you could transfer onto a veterinary degree. I thought, that's it. I found my way in. But I didn't. I stuck with physiotherapy and I qualified and I started work in the NHS. And life was very different then in the NHS. You could pick which job you wanted and you could say right I want to work at that hospital and pretty much you could apply and you could get in and I worked at East Surrey Hospital in Redhill down in Surrey and I did that for about six years and my my father who I'd mentioned previously his work ethic came back to haunt me and has for my entire life 
is that he had an addictive personality. And for me, that has come out in my work. And I worked ridiculous hours. I worked seven days a week and I worked running the private clinic there. I worked on the wards. I worked in the outpatients department and just put my heart and soul into physiotherapy and tried to be the best version of myself in, in everything that I did within physio. <clears throat> and that involved going on numerous courses and studying and reading. And my, my life was physiotherapy. Yeah. With regards to that, what then sort of transpired was I thought I would do a master's degree. And I looked at one in London at UCL and I got on the course. And the problem for me was that I had, this was a full-time course, I had a mortgage to pay. I had a car to run. I had a life to sort of fund. No, I don't have any great extravagances. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to do this? People said, you can't do it. You need to keep working. And I was on a course one weekend. And I remember sitting there looking around the room. And some of you listening may have done this. When the lecturer says something, you think, yeah, I know that. And you start to daydream a little bit. And I remember looking around the room and I thought there's 24 people in here. And let's say it was £100 for the day. It was fairly cheap then. And I thought there's £2,400 sitting in this room. And I thought I could I could do that. I could help fund my, my degree doing that. So I, I asked the lecturer at the end of the day and I said, oh, how much do you charge for a day? And he told me. And I thought, right, I'm going to organise a course. So I set it up and I set up my company, which was called Physio UK. And in the first year, we organised three courses, which did help fund my degree to an extent. But things changed and it wasn't just about the money then. People said, we really like what you do. We like the way that you do it. And I stumbled into business, I suppose, would be the easiest way to describe it. And the courses went from three in one year to five to 12 to 20. And eventually long story short it grew to 120 courses a year including conferences and I had four staff and we had an office and we had about 30 tutors on the books and it just absolutely took over my life I'll just say more about that in just a second alongside that either at the start you mentioned I became a university lecturer I was still working as a physio I was really passionate about teaching so I became a part-time university lecturer at the University of Brighton. I did that for four years, lecturing to the undergrad students and the postgrad students. So my life was juggling these three different things of physiotherapy, university lecturing and Physio UK. And I had to make a decision because it was gradually making me quite sick in terms of just my physical health declined. I, I didn't really set boundaries. And that's kind of one thing that I've, I suppose I've learned over the years is that work was just all encompassing and it, it just took over so that every day was just about work what else can I do and I would push myself I would neglect my sleep and I gradually became a, a little bit iller which is ironic in the sense the fact that I was in a health profession and with the business I then threw myself into that and so that dedication and that devotion just overtook with regards to the business and it was always about driving more it was about building being bigger bigger more courses more people then said we want to work with you so then I would say yes and it would be right how can I service them how can I include their courses in our portfolio how can we find more people to go on the courses more 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 and as a result, the, the negatives that, that came from that were my health again <laughs> continued to, to, to suffer, but I ignored it and just pushed myself through. 
and I I, I was re- I realized that I, I had so much to learn about business. I mentioned earlier that I'd stumbled into a business. And I don't know for, for people listening, if that kind of resonates at all sometimes, is that you suddenly find yourself with, with pressures that you didn't know existed and with skills that you didn't know you needed to learn. And for me, I realized that I didn't know how to run a business. I, did, I didn't know how to best facilitate its growth. I didn't know how to manage people particularly well. As a result, I started to read a lot of books and the wonders of Audible as well, listening to audio books. And I went on courses and there was a few different entrepreneurial type organizations that I went to and I paid them a certain amount each month to to learn from them. And there was a program on in London called 10,000 Small Businesses, which was put on by Goldman Sachs. And I managed to go through the interview process and I I got onto that. And that was a six month program. And I, I mingled with some other wonderful businesses. And I learned a huge amount from other business owners, from sharing the the pains and the struggles and the solutions that they had for things, which then I could bring into my business. And as a result, we we continued to grow. And as I've mentioned earlier, we, we got up to 120 courses a year. And a couple of the lecturers that we had, their livelihoods entirely depended on me, really, to bring in their livelihood and fund their house and kids and whatnot. And it, it peaked around, I think it was about 2015, I think it was, where, again, I was working ridiculously hard. And I would listen to this book, and I'd, I'd recommend people listen to it if they're, if they're in business, by a guy called Mike McCallowitz. Don't Don't worry too much about the name so much as the book's title is Profit First. And it might sound like a you know capitalist mantra. But what Mike McCallowitz talks about is... The, the common business equation that people have is income minus expenses equals profit. And he challenges that and said all too often that results in people not making enough and not being paid. And they're, they're sort of beholden to the business, which I'm, I most certainly was. And Mike, in a challenging way, lays out templates for business, I suppose, and just gives you some rough numbers that you might be aspiring towards. And what he does is he changes that equation and he says income minus profit equals expenses. Income minus profit equals expenses. So therefore, what you do is your money comes in, you take off your money in taxes and so on. You then take off your profit percentage that you want. And what's left is the expenses that you run your business on. And, and my expenses were way too high. And I, I did the numbers. And I, I remember specifically, I was working on my potato patch I, I love gardening and I love vegetables and I have allotments and I I spend any spare time I have down there and I was in the mon- amongst my potatoes and I was listening to this audiobook the third time I'd listened to it I'd highly recommend listening to books more than once and just the line he said hit me and I thought oh my god and it was just about these expenses and I went back into the house and I sat down I grabbed a piece of paper out and I started jotting some numbers down and I realized the expenses for my business were about £80,000 too much. And that turnover wasn't massive. It was about half a million quid. And I realized my expenses were about £80,000 too much. And the only place I realized I could save my money on expenses was staff costs. And I thought, well, what I need to do is get rid of all my staff. And the irony then is I can't run my business. And it was that sentence then that hit me is you can't run your business is that my business model was was flawed for, for a number of reasons. And I that was my epiphany, I suppose. And there'd been a couple of other times 
prior to that where I'd been challenged and my my answer to challenges was always well I'll just work harder what one of them that springs to mind was I had a phone call from my accountant I changed over from a bookkeeper I'd inherited from my father to an accountant and he he said do you realize that he did some management accounts and he said do you realize that you're running at twenty nine thousand pound loss at the moment and it was no and I just sat on this bench in Leeds station it was and I, I cried just to myself a tear or two and I thought right that's it I'm going to fix this and I thought I'll work harder and I did so roll forward with Mike Michalowicz I sat there and I had that epiphany that I thought this isn't about working harder that this this business model is faulty it's it's broken it's, it's just not profitable enough my business and the model I had and I decided to call time on it and it was that that was the, the day I, that, that changed everything I went in I spoke to the staff the next day they agreed and over the next 12 weeks I supported them in everything that I could for as I gradually you know through went through the channels and made them redundant and they were still good friends now to to, to this day and I encouraged them to uh, in, into whatever work that I could help them find and they all found other jobs and I gradually wound the business down and the two tutors whose livelihoods depended on me I had com- honest conversations with them and I ran the, the business myself for the next two years I said I'll give you a two-year runoff and gradually it all folded and I liquidated it all and it, it's a dead entity now the, the bit that surprised me that at the end when I emailed everyone to, to tell them that it was closing was I got about 500 emails back from people saying we just can't thank you enough for what you've done you've impacted me you've changed my practice you've changed my patience and th- that surprised me and uh, kind of caught, caught me off guard a little bit but to, to draw that chapter to a close I that that has all been liquidated now and then I thought well, what do I do with my life and I just recently met my now wife and we moved to Tunbridge Wells and I've always been fairly handy so as Isla mentioned I spent two years renovating or two and a half years renovating the house that we live in it was brick walls mud and no roof and now we have a very nice house and over that time it allowed me time to think and think what do I do and I'd been running the Toastmasters public speaking club in Tunbridge Wells and running their training and people said to me that you're good at this and I mentioned about some of the awards I've eventually won which was kind of a nice little feather in the cap but inside me I just thought yes I am good at this and I love it and for me that then became the catalyst for what I do now helping people with their public speaking and I I love what I do but the lesson I suppose I've learned is that tendency I have to push myself that tendency to just push myself in terms of like physically doing going harder working harder and harder and harder is I've managed to temper that a little bit and it's 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 there behind the scenes and I keep having to just calm it down and say you need to be well you need to be healthy you need to be focused you need that time so that I can progress in myself and bring the best of myself to work and and that's where I find myself these days now it's about how do I grow my business how do I keep enjoying it how do I stay well but also do the things that I love and I, I suppose that draws me towards a close, really. And, and, and that's the lessons that I've learned is that it's, it's not just about working harder. It's about doing what you love, I suppose, but also having that, that space to, to make sure that you can do it to the best of your ability. So that's my story. I hope there's, there's something in there that was helpful. But thank, thank you very much for giving me the time to, to tell it. Thank you, Chris. I, I enjoyed the story the first time around but the addition and being brought up to date um was was really interesting i and i love the fact 
I, I that you followed your dad's advice and that um I've, I've you know I'm, I'm a bit of a daddy's girl myself and I think <laughs> that um my dad has given me a lot of a lot of advice in in business um but I, I love that people will always be be ill of course they will <laughs> um, but it was great it's great great advice um but I think also excellent timing with the the theme new beginnings you know this this is a time where that's on the mind of many people <clears throat> excuse me um you know many people are thinking I need to reinvent myself now with with what's going on and so I think that your story will resonate with many well it's interesting that the new beginnings was i I made the decision at the end of last year, at the end of 2019, as to, well, this is what I'm going to do. And most of the training that I delivered was face-to-face. So I started this year in 2020, and it was, what well, I'm going to do face-to-face courses. I know how to organise face-to-face courses. I've organised thousands of them over the years. And then suddenly it was, you can't do that. And it was, oh, OK, so I need to decide how on earth I'm going to do that using mm. the medium of Zoom and online. And th- th- that's been another challenge, as it has been for so many businesses. And it's how can you pivot your business? And sure. I've learned to. And the benefits are are obvious. And it's it's working out OK so far. Great. I wanted to pick up on something you said in your story about the emails that you received uh, when you were winding up your business. And when we were talking about this earlier, you said that some of them, you know, they were so emotional and then people were saying how grateful they were and that they were really. It was almost the first time that you were realising actually what a real difference you were making to to people and to people's lives. Did you? at any point have second thoughts and think that you shouldn't be winding up your business, that perhaps you should maybe redefine your business model and, and keep going with what you'd always done? <laughs> I, I'd love to say no and that I had absolute clarity, but the answer was absolutely yes. And yes, for a few different reasons in that the business physiotherapy and certainly course organisation is a relatively a very small pond and whatever niche that people work in is that if you become a big fish in a small pond then there's a certain amount of status that's attached to that and you think oh you know i i'm a person in this i'm a someone and i i I don't think i have a massive ego but i could go into lots of courses and people say hey chris how you doing and they they, they'd know about me they'd they'd recognize me from my business and I, that was part of it. And I thought, oh, do I want that? And I weighed up, well, what what will closing the business give me? And I thought about it. And, and looking at those scales, closing the business would give me so much more. And I would lose that. And that was OK to lose because I had so much more to gain. The, the bit that did draw me to it is the change. I had partially set the business up to obviously fund my my masters but then it had grown and it was about bringing innovation and other lecturers over and giving opportunities to people to learn things that would ultimately help people and so therefore that was what I was losing and that wouldn't necessarily happen but there were other people that were doing it and I just had to weigh that up and thought it will happen the, the gap in the market will be there and someone will fill it and it's I've done my bit and I guess that's the bit where it got to is I've worked really hard. I've, I've, you know, put 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 my stamp on this. People have changed as a result of that, and it's ultimately their responsibility then carry that on, and for someone else to pick up that torch. 
and I, I did sit down and each evening when I read those emails it was I could go back and I thought I've done it I've done enough my time here is finished it's on to new horizons something else now it needs to stop and so yeah so yes I did consider it but it didn't it didn't draw me back in it's it's interesting isn't it that theme of something coming to an end and mm. you know you're feeling that I'm happy that it's come to an end. As you say, it's time for somebody else to pick up that mantle, but it's time for something, something new for me. And I know that I've, I've heard you say before that everything is for a season. <laughs> and, and I absolutely love that phrase because applying that phrase to what you've just said, it's almost like, well, I've done that now. And now that season, if you like, has come to an end. And, and I like the idea that if you think of things that, are for a season it almost makes it okay to to stop something and move on to something else I wonder do many people fear that change you know because it can be a big leap changing career or or pivoting um yeah I mean absolutely and that's what one of the reasons I mentioned earlier was about that say the ego or just status is that that's what I'd that's what I trained to do that's the world I knew that was what defined me people would know me as Chris Murphy Physio UK or the physiotherapist and and if I lost that then it was a case of what am I what do I do how do I feel the rest of my life what's what's another career it's the, the world is younger people coming to these days you're expected to have that career that portfolio career but that I was still in the era when it was, well, you get a job and you work until you die doing that job. But you, you mentioned about that phrase. It was a friend of mine from years ago called Russ, Russ Oliver, came up with that phrase or said it to me once and it just stuck with me, everything for a season. And, and a season is as long as you want it to be. But it is just putting that boundary in, that defined time where you say at some point, some things just need to end. And having that in mind has been really helpful for me and it might be everything for a season but it might be a week it might be a year it might be two years it doesn't matter but it's just having that decision that you can say stop on things that you can draw things to a close and ultimately I suppose the reflection for me certainly was is this helping me is this making helping me be healthy you get one shot at life and the answer was no and so for me my season with Physio UK was about 18 years and that was enough. And to be honest with you, it probably should have ended about four years before that. But I carried it on and I'm, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad it ended. I'm glad I did it. I Would I do it differently? I absolutely would do it differently. But the opportunity I have now is the next thing I do is to do that differently as a result of the experiences that I drew out from Physio UK. I think you're extremely brave. Um it's you know there are a few people that would say especially after Isla pointed out the emails you know especially after Mm. you've been flooded with all those almost uh confirmations of wow you're you're brilliant you're really great at what you do you know to resist that and to recognize that enough was enough um was was a brave move definitely and you know your story is very much about responding to change it's something that often brings about new opportunities and you know there's always that story the unexpected is often the trigger that leads to the big difference in your life and you hear about many major um sort of scientific breakthroughs emerging just because something went wrong 
Mm. Um, don't quote me on it and don't ask me anything about it, but I recall that antibiotics came about through, you know, some sort of experiment going wrong. So I I remember you saying about the, the, when we were off air, you talked about a story with the two restaurants or with a restaurant responding to COVID Mm. restrictions and looking, you know, for change there. Can, Can you share that story with us? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Oh, I'll just say two things on what you said before, yeah. just, just to chip in. It was Alexander Fleming was clearing away his Petri dishes and noticed yes. that one of them, that the, the the area had cleared around this mould, it had killed the bacteria that they had on this Petri dish. And he thought, well, that's kind of curious. And that was the discovery of penicillin. Oh, oh right, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but which I think, as you say, it's just be, having your eyes open. So the second thing I wanted to just say that that reminds me of is, I don't know if you have a favorite book that over say you in say we were allowed to have a dinner party that what would be your favorite book that you would bring up and and my favorite book is the luck factor by richard wiseman and richard wiseman is a psychologist who works at the university of hertfordshire and he used to be a magician and what he did was he noticed that certain people are luckier than others and he thought well why is that and he then investigated lucky people compared with unlucky people and he discovered these four different factors that differentiate out lucky people from unlucky people. And you, if you train those factors, you can become luckier. Mm-hmm. And one of those factors is to be on the lookout for creating social situations. And essentially, it's having your eyes open. And it mm-hmm. might well be talking to people. Uh, but certainly for Alexander Fleming, in that situation, he had his eyes open and being able to create those situations. So that's one thing I want to sort of chip into people is about you've got to have your head up to see things. So if you've just got mm. your head down on the same road, unless you're looking up and about, you can't see other roads, you can't see other opportunities. So I think that's a really important thing that I would kind of wave the flag on. You, you mentioned about those those two restaurants. I, I heard this story. I'm going to kind of keep the names slightly anonymous because <laughs> this was told to me by a friend and I told a few people <clears throat> in small groups. But the story relates to two restaurants that that are in Birmingham, and they're both award-winning restaurants, Michelin-style restaurants. And when lockdown happened, they both closed their doors, as you know, so many restaurants did. And one of them just said, "Right, that's it. I'm going to shut down. And once this is all over, I can restart and open the doors again." And the other one didn't want to lose their head chef. And what they did was they said, "Right, what opportunities have we got?" And they decided to do a home delivery service on a Friday night and a Saturday night. And you would get this hamper with all your food in and the plates and the crockery and cutlery and everything. You didn't know which night you were going to get. So you either got Friday night or Saturday night. And they gradually built this up. And people loved it because they wanted to eat the food. They still had their money and they wanted to spend it on this restaurant. And it was probably about three months ago now, two months ago, maybe that that's the restaurant that did that service the amount of money they took from their home delivery service exceeded their best week of covers when they used to be a restaurant with the doors open so those two restaurants now would be in exceptionally different situations where one has had no business for a number of months opens their doors and hopefully people will be coming back in and the other one now has two businesses one is a home delivery service that has brought in the level of income that they were getting before covid and they can now open the doors and have covers as well. And I'm sure they would have got new customers. So I guess it's just that ability to pivot. And it's mm. not the same for every business. But you may well argue that for a restaurant, well, they have to have people in the restaurant. Well, they, they 
don't. They and don't. and I'm not saying it's a cover all, but it's a case of what else could you do? What other opportunities are there? How else could exactly. you generate business? Mm, it's brilliant. I love it. I, I want to pick up on the theme that we've touched on. Uh, it's been an undercurrent of our conversation, I think, and that is the importance of listening to people. And as you say, keeping our eyes open, identifying opportunities and, yes, talking to people. And earlier this year, Chris, you won two national speaking contests, one for spontaneous speaking and the other for evaluations. And And I know that practising and giving feedback and, and learning from others are absolutely key and you attribute these these skills to a lot of your success success nowadays would you agree what advice would you have for other people in this regard yeah yeah sure with with that the the awards came through toastmasters and you compete locally and you go up to regional finals and then southeast of england and the national finals and i was competing in the national finals and as you said kind of fortunately won them the the speech evaluation which what what, just to give some context for that what happens is there is a speech that a test speaker gives and then six contestants all deliver a speech evaluation on that speech you have about five minutes preparation time and then you deliver a two and a half to three and a half minute evaluation of that speech and the goal is that what you're helping that speaker do is become a better speaker know what they did well and what they can improve on and I think the problem with feedback is that there's a fairly, to make a blanket statement, people generally don't know how to give feedback very well. And for that speaker, what the, the, the goal within that is to be able to tell them the things that do really well and the things that they can improve on. People commonly say, oh, that was really good. I really enjoyed that, which is useless. It doesn't, the, the speaker doesn't know how to improve. And to be, to be able to give feedback is a really, really powerful skill because what it allows you to do is it allows you to deconstruct their speech, for example, understand the components of what they did, be able to construct that into a speech yourself. So you have to do that quite quickly. But then because of that reflection, you become a better speaker. And for me, evaluation has just been the absolutely secret source, golden magic ingredient for me in terms of all the things I'm doing now. And people who know me were just are bored of me going on about evaluations. But it, it is, uh, <laughs> I take that chuckle from Isla is affirmation, <laughs> is God, please stop going on about evaluations. I cannot rave about them enough. And for me, it is the thing that has driven me on. It's your secret weapon by the sound of things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the thing that people ask me to go and talk about quite a lot now. And I could talk about it until uh, the cows come home. But <laughs> I, I was teaching a few weeks ago on, on, on an online course. And my within that, it was all about presentation skills and presenting better. And I start with about evaluation. And the people who evaluated the course, ironically, said, I didn't expect that to be so helpful, but it's changed everything. And that 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 ability to then critique yourself allows you in terms of to get the better out of that that lifelong journey I think so I think it goes into all sorts of ramifications for life and and for me that that has been the thing that's that's helped me the most and and even with the impromptu speaking I was I was talking I was teaching a club last night on impromptu speaking and as I was writing the speech it's that evaluation came out thinking how helpful is this what is that I'm trying to achieve and those sort of questions come out as because of that evaluative process so everything that I do in my business now 
I'm evaluating as I'm going along and thinking, is that the best thing? Is that, you know, am I achieving what I want to? Is this the best for the audience? Is there a better way? And those questions just fly around all the time. But what about the, the, the feedback? I mean, how, I mean it's, it's a form of criticism. You, how, how do people receive that? I mean, I guess in your environment, they're, they're up for it because that's, that's what you're all about. But do you find that sometimes you've given feedback and it's not been taken so kindly? Uh, it, it, is, it is entirely up to the receiver as to how they take it and they can ignore every single word and it doesn't bother me at all because it's not about me. It's, 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 it's about them. And with regard to that, I think one of the things I find fascinating is language and the use of words. Mm. And what, what commonly happens is people say, what, what I like is you, you spoke really clearly, but everyone's listening out for the but. And it's about how it's received and so the wording is crucial so let's say for example someone had was giving a speech and they used a lot of ums and ahs and they looked down and said i really loved the clarity of your message in the slides that you used i really knew what it was i was supposed to be taking from this this talk and for me as a listener that's really important because it helps keep me engaged one of the things that I did notice that you might like to think about is that my engagement did waver slightly because I don't know if you've noticed sometimes what happens is you look down to the floor when you speak. And I did notice in a couple of sessions is you use ums and ahs quite a lot. And that almost became a distraction at times. And you might like to think about in the future is just taking a pause at the end of your sentence because they commonly happen at the end of a sentence. And if you pause, maybe just touch your tongue on the back of your teeth and then take a breath and then say your next sentence. And for me, that would really impact me so much more. And that clarity of message would shine through with so much more vigor and so much more engagement. And, but, but thank you for your presentation. I really enjoyed it. And it's just how you, it's yeah. how, it's how you put things. How it's worded. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm feeling really conscious now <laughs> about speaking. Um, can you tell us, Chris, what you're working on now? Yeah, 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 sure. For, for me, it's, I mentioned earlier about the, the pivoting, is everything I deliver now is, is online and the commute across the kitchen is quite favourable. <laughs> I'm sort of mixed between a few different things. The main things for me within my business are three things. One is I'm doing one-to-one -one mentoring for people. And I, I don't describe myself as a coach because everyone's a coach, but, but ultimately there are some coaching elements in it because people know how to speak, but what they don't necessarily know is the skill of speaking. And there is a skill associated with public speaking and it's a bit like tennis. You just need to learn the right way to do it or a bit like driving. Mm. Ironically, most people don't describe a fear of tennis or if, well, maybe a bit scared of driving, but people don't say I have a fear of tennis. It's just like, I don't know how to play tennis and mm. public speakers like that you just don't have to do it properly and you just need to learn so I work with people one-to-one -one on that and I have people from all ranges of, of society and jobs and so on just people who just work in offices people who work for themselves I've got an international sales director I've got someone who's in charge of a world organization and the other thing that I'm building up and doing more of is group courses online and that people then have time between to go and practice and that's why I'm really pushing those at the moment to because I enjoy the group environment and by training people to give that feedback, then people learn there's a camaraderie, there's enthusiasm and people can see other people changing and they're encouraged by that. So that's 
the second thing that I'm working on is building up the group programs. And the third thing is just any opportunities to speak really and to challenge myself. I was offered a, an hour long talk at an art society in March next year, which oh, was it March, April next year, which I've taken. And so now I'm starting to write that because I've, I've always I've always wanted to be an after dinner speaker, if the truth be known. So now I, I need to be very good at it. <laughs> well, I, I haven't had the opportunity. I've, I've nearly got one gig and then I, I, it didn't happen. And so that's that's kind of they're the other two things. Oh, they're, the, they're the three things I'm working on. But the main things is building up the one to one clients and the online courses, because I, I love teaching and I love people learning. Brilliant. That's excellent. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, easiest way is to drop me an email, chris mm-hmm. at uk, And my website is www.thespeakingmentor.co.uk. That's the easiest way. And I will be able to reply and have a chat with anybody. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Chris. Well, we're fast running out of time. Yeah. Sorry, I butted in. No, I think we're probably going to say the same thing. I mean, it's been such a fabulous discussion and we've got some great takeaways from today. What what took out, well, I'm I'm going to start. Um, Because for what stood out for for me was the importance of talking to our customers is Mm. whilst we're working with our customers and we're heads down working, you know, really hard is that we may not really appreciate or take the time to understand the value that we are that we're giving and not only does that help us improve our service or our, or our product but it it inspires us and helps us uh you know just helps us keep going through the difficult times mm. and i think as well alongside that is having our eyes open our eyes open to the opportunities you know looking up not down and just taking that opportunity to speak to people and I'm going to just have one more. I've got two key takeaways because my other. Gosh, she's well, getting cheeky I am, I'm today. getting carried away here because. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say this because it's so important. It's what Chris was talking about earlier. And that is, is staying well, not, mm. you know, driving ourselves into the ground with this belief mm. that if we work harder, we can achieve more. And and I'm 100% guilty of this. And I find mm, Chris quite too. inspiring in his, his way where, you know, that's it's not the right it's not the right way. And of course it isn't because the harder we work, the tired we get, the more it impacts our sleep, so the less sleep we get. And then it, it becomes a vicious circle. And, you know, we all are focused on doing the best we possibly can for our clients. And I think that that mantra of, of staying well so that we can do our job better and that we can continue to love what we do is, mm. is yeah, it's absolute key takeaway for me. Lisa, how about you? Well, I mean, I enjoyed everything, but I, I think that I I really like the idea of everything for a season. I, I find that quite comforting, um, and I think that that's what attracted it to you as well, Chris, maybe, the, the comfort in knowing that there will be an end, there, there is going to be a boundary. And, you know, I think that we're in a, a bit of a strange season now with the pandemic. So I like that message. I like that message that this too will come to an end, this too will change. This is the the winter of 2020. It's been a long winter, the whole of 2020, but it will come to an end. And that's what we need to focus on, I think. Uh, don't, don't focus too much on the doom and gloom. Let's focus on what we're going to do and, and how we're going to steer ourselves out of it. 
there was a, so, a, a oh sorry sorry i was going to say there's a quote i read this morning from winston churchill which was pessimists see difficulty in every opportunity and optimists the opportunity in every difficulty which i quite liked absolutely <clears throat> and, and yeah the what was the point sorry oh it was your point isla which just reminded me was in terms of sleep that's I've I've heard you give a talk about sleep, mm. which then inspired me to to read the book by Matthew Walker. And my wife has wet, read it, and we've had this discussion about it. And I was reading just the other day that James Dyson, the guy that invented all the Dyson vacuum cleaners, etc., uh, he gets ten hours sleep a day, and and for him that's that's non-negotiable. And you then think, well, so people aren't cutting out sleep is that you, you you do need sleep you do need to be well because if you're not mm. well you you can't serve your customers you can't serve yourself you can't grow you can't make good decisions i don't think if you're knackered and you're sick absolutely and i think that's a perfect perfect message to end on today because we have run out of time um we're coming to the end so all that remains is to give thanks to of course our guests so thank you chris very much totally appreciative of your time and all your good advice and loved your story thank you thank you isla for being a super co-host as always and to paul cheese for our fantastic jingle and the editing super editing Isla, how can people follow us or get in touch with us through our facebook or twitter and we're at the biz diaries b-i-z so please do get in touch with us when you uh hear the podcast do give us your feedback lisa and i both love to know what you think uh we enjoy them very much so please let us know what you think that's the biz diaries right well enormous thanks go to you the listener for tuning in we hope you enjoyed today's discussion and you'll join us for our next podcast bye for now Bye-bye. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this edition of The Business Diaries. We would love to hear your feedback. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries. 